0: All right, this morning, I would like to preach to us about work. This fits very well with the Identity Seminar that's coming in just two Sundays. It fits very well with Pastor Eric's sermon from last Sunday. Um, So I can only give us just a, a little introduction to this. There are entire books about this theme, but even just the simple Bible truths that I will show us this morning will demonstrate that God's truth about work is so much better than anything the world has to offer. I was struck in the scripture reading by Colossians 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Most of what the world thinks about work is philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, and it is enslaving. God's truth, as Paul says, kind of tongue in cheek in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, even the foolishness of God, if there was such a thing, is wiser than men. So for just a quick moment, let's talk about the world's view of work. From the world's standpoint, the, the word work refers primarily to something you do to earn money. Maybe it's your career. You know, what's your career? What do you do for work? And your career from that viewpoint, is extremely important for defining who you are and why your life has importance. And we might think, well, we wouldn't do that, but think about how quickly we draw conclusions about what a person is like based on their career, based on their job. And from the world's perspective, oftentimes the importance of your career is directly connected to how much money you can earn the more money you earn, the more valuable and interesting your career is, but really the more valuable and interesting you are as a person. At the same time, the world also places an emphasis on whether or not your work is enjoyable and fulfilling for you, and so much of the emphasis in childhood, in the teen years, And then into the young adult years is about finding and preparing for a career that in in, in a very important field that makes a lot of money while being very enjoyable and very personally fulfilling. And you've got to figure that out by the time you're about six when people start asking you. In some cultures, not so much our, at least, Caucasian Western American culture, but in some cultures, the right career is also very important for honoring your parents by Um, making sure they can be very proud of their children because of your career. But then there is also another very different worldly perspective, and that is basically, as the world would say it, that work is hell. Work is horrible, and you should work as little as possible. And while you're at work, work as little as possible and retire as soon as possible So so from the world's perspective, work is either the most important thing about your life or it's totally misery and basically the worst thing about your life. And God's truth is so much better than any of those false or distorted perspectives. And not only better, also transformational because it changes the whole way you approach big portions of your life that you didn't even realize could be God-centered, joyfully motivated work. So Let me try to just breeze over kind of a quick overview of that. Genesis chapter 1, because God's truth about work begins at creation. That's why we're here. He formed a wonderful planet with marvelous plants and animals, but not for plants and animals. For these people whom he created in his image. And brings male and female together into a marriage and into the first family unit. And we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female who created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there, from those verses, we see, number one, that all people were created to work. Work is part of the very essence of what it means to be human. That's obvious in those verses. It's clear in the Ten Commandments because it's easy to overlook in the Ten Commandments because it's in the Sabbath commandment. But how does the Sabbath commandment begin? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Work is part of what it means to be human. God created this planet for our good and for our joy, and also to be overseen by us. Human beings, as the centerpiece of God's creation, are supposed to oversee this planet for our mutual good and for God's glory. We have dominion over this planet, not as tyrants, but as the creator's ambassadors, taking what he has created and developing it faithfully for his glory. Adam and Eve were supposed to begin filling the earth with people and developing creation's potential for the glory of God. You know how much potential God built into that original creation? I mean, just the early chapters of Genesis show us developments in everything from poetry and animal husbandry to metalworking and music. God intended for this amazing creation, to, to, for us to, to take oversight of it as his ambassadors and unlock its potential so that people would flourish for their blessing and so that God would be greatly glorified. So just that little three minutes shows us that when we use the word work to apply only to the nine to five wage earning stuff, we're misunderstanding what biblical work is. That's part of it. But just part of it, work number two should be understood broadly. And I'm not trying to give you some technical definition here, but I think it's very helpful to say very simply that work is caring for God's creation. Work is caring for God's creation. And I mean caring in a very broad sense to summarize what humanity was created to do in Genesis 1. So let's list some aspects of what that means. And this list, even though it's, even though it's big, uh, A through J, you will think of several other things that could be added. This is just samples. So first of all, caring about God's creation means understanding it. When God brought the animals to Adam so that he could name them and begin to learn about them, he didn't know he was the first scientist studying God's creation to try to understand it. That's biblical work. Mathematics and engineering and chemistry and really any education done for the glory of God. Kids, school is part of your God-given work. It's understanding his creation. Also, inventing. We can't create like God creates, but we can invent new things that bless people. And God intended that to happen. That's that's biblical work. That's letter B, inventing. C is developing. If you... Take a dirt front yard and you add some landscaping, you're doing biblical work. If you are a contractor or a metal worker or a paver who helps to build a bridge, you're developing God's creation. That's what He intended to happen. That's biblical work. Biblical work also includes raising because God created a world full of life and reproduction. So there's lots of raising to do. We raise plants. We raise animals. We raise children. It's part of caring for God's creation. And work also includes the one that everyone thinks about, and that is providing. Little human beings are particularly helpless, and they need food and shelter and clothes provided for them. So biblical work includes raising food and hunting for food and raising animals for clothing and growing trees for building, except most of us have never done several of those things. Uh, Because in our Western world today, it more often involves earning a wage so that you can buy a home and clothes and food and so forth. But the point is that either way, it's providing and it's part of the work that God intended for us to do in his creation. Now, Obviously, that providing might be the top category of work in terms of, of what? It's the top of the list in terms of time, sometimes, the amount of time that's spent. And so that's why sometimes the word work is used for just that. And it's very important, but it's hardly the only type of God-given work. So let's keep going. Relating. Relating. Wow, this is the kind of thing the world has never would not even think of. God created us to relate to other people, to be our brother's keeper, to serve and love our neighbor, which takes work. And yes, it is more comfortable to stay isolated. It is more comfortable to just worry about me. But in God's world, people are supposed to connect and care and be a blessing to one another, and it's not always fun. <laughs> It's biblical work. Then there is beautifying, mowing the lawn, braiding your daughter's hair, writing music. This is good biblical work that God intended. There's governing. The creation needs oversight and governance. It needs laws and leaders, especially after sin. And so even things like managing your family finances— or planning your family calendar are biblical work. They're aspects of governing God's creation. There's also, letter I, protecting, thanks to sin, again. And this includes big things like law enforcement, which is biblical work, and small things like waxing your car and patching the holes in your chicken coop. And speaking of those holes, another aspect of work is J. Repairing. Sin causes damage and decay, and so there is an endless amount of repair work to be done. And that, too, can honor the Creator. And that's just a sample list. The point is that when we understand that God created this amazing planet for people to rule over and flourish in, then we understand that everything we do to care for God's creation is biblical work. So, if work is that broad, then is everything work? Well, no, because if you look ahead, Genesis 2, verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. So, not everything is work because there is, first of all, the category of rest. Rest is taking a For us, necessary break from caring for God's creation. More on that later. This starts to get really imprecise, I know. But I think we might add a second category here, and that is the category of leisure. Don't turn the page yet. Leisure is enjoying God's creation. Now, work and leisure can overlap. You can enjoy your work rest and leisure can overlap. So I know it gets fuzzy here. But I think it's still helpful to say work is caring for God's creation. Rest is taking a break from caring for God's creation. Leisure is enjoying God's creation. But let me say those three phrases a different way so that we'll catch a big point here. Work is caring... Well, why don't you say it when I get there? Work is caring for God's creation. And rest is taking a break from caring for... And leisure is enjoying... Who's at the center of all of those things? God is. As society tries to force us to make ourselves the center of the universe, it's actually reassuring to know that everything is not actually centered on us. It's actually centered around God. We're caring for his creation, resting in his creation, enjoying his creation. Now you can turn the page. <clears throat> Number four, we, however, rebelled against God's call to care for his creation. We said no to the creator's calling. Can you believe that? It's like, we think it's startling when, you know, you're, when a one-year-old or a two-year-old looks mom and dad right in the eye and puts their hands on their hips and says no. We're like, who do you think we are? you are? But what when these little human beings, just created out of the dust by God, then say to him, No, not going to care for your creation, just going to care for ourselves. We don't want everything to be about him and his creation. We want everything to be about us. And so the tree that Adam and Eve were supposed to care for became the tree that they used to turn from God. Cain killed his brother, and then what did he ask? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Yes, Cain, you are. And this continues today. Instead of seeing ourselves as God's representatives on earth, we see ourselves as little gods. And this earth is here for us. And that sin, that rebellion against God, not only tears apart our relationship with God and threatens us with, threatens us with eternal judgment. But it also makes our work really complicated. So ahead to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. becomes work has become painful painful every aspect of biblical work is harder because of sin childbirth and parenting are harder providing is harder inventing and governing and beautifying are harder work is often painful and frustrating but that does not mean that work is worthless and it does not mean that work should be avoided We are still human beings created in the image of God to care for his creation. And so work has not lost any of its importance, though it has become painful. Work is still a vital part of our calling as human beings. It includes much more of our lives than most people realize. It's much more important than most people realize. And we are working directly for our creator. We are caring for his creation. Do you see how crazily countercultural we are already? Even though, in a sense, these are simple truths. Now, in a minute, we're going to work out some of the practical ramifications of that. But first of all, let's just not fail to go to the gospel itself. Number six Jesus came to forgive us for our rebellion, restore us to God, and renew our opportunity to glorify God in every aspect of our work. So we rebelled against our calling to care for God's creation. We fell far from God, but he sent his own son to be our savior. Jesus came in human flesh and died for rebellious humans. And so when we come in repentance and faith, he forgives us. He brings us back to God and then he gives us his spirit and his word and his church to support us so that we can get back to work. So that we can get back to what we were created and called to do in the first place. Now sometimes we will still choose laziness. And sometimes we will still choose selfishness. But we have a great Savior to forgive us and restore us and change us when we do. And our work because of sin is never going to live up to its full potential. As the curse weighs us down. And yet we stand in grace and even our faltering work that never lives up to its full potential brings him honor. And sometimes due to our sin we end up in work situations that are far from what we planned or, or hoped for. I just, uh, two weeks ago I met a, a person uh, in New York City who had, who had through their own Rebelling against the Lord completely lost their opportunity for their career. It's gone. But they also came to faith in Christ in the process. And so sometimes we end up in work situations that are far from what we planned or hoped for, yet, even in the midst of that brokenness, we stand in grace. And God looks on our work and He says, Do it for me, dear child. Do it for me. Wherever you are, whatever it is, I will be honored. So the gospel of Christ crucified is really good news for our work. But let's move on now to briefly consider a few of the many ramifications about, of God's truth about work. So this is the conclusion, the 13-point conclusion. And there could be more that you could add to the list, but here are 13. God's truth about work, number one, means that work is worship. Work is for God. It is caring for his creation. And so when we think about work biblically and do it for the Lord, we are showing his worth. We are worshiping as we braid hair and hammer nails and crunch numbers and fix chicken coops and research inventions and care for our neighbors. Work is worship when it is done in recognition of God as creator and our role. Number two, God's truth means that work is love. The greatest commandment is to love God, and the second, like unto it, is to love your neighbor, and work is both love for God and love for others. Our children probably got sick of hearing it in our home, but we told them many times, work is love. Number three, God's truth about work gives guidance to those who are making career-related decisions. Now, I, I don't mean that God's truth makes it simple. Career decisions are hard. But they're even harder if we buy into the worldly thinking that we have to discover our destiny in that one perfect career that will make us really happy and be really satisfying and make us really rich so that we can retire really early and that we have to fight and claw our way to the top of the pack to make sure we get it. Our destiny is not one perfect career that will be our absolute dream come true. That wasn't even true before the fall, much less after the fall. Our destiny is a life of many types of work in many areas of life, all for the glory of God. And so as we look at career decisions we don't feel that pressure the world puts on us. We instead take that framework that Pastor Eric showed you last Sunday, consider the glory of God, consider the Great Commission, consider the local church, and then who did God create you to be? It's, not, it's still not simple. I'm not saying that. But it's so, it's so much better when the question is not, how do I find my one perfect dream career? But instead, God, how have you called me to care for your creation? How, who have you uniquely created me to be? How can I work for your glory how can I love you and love others with my work? So God's truth about work gives guidance to those kind of decisions. Number four, God's truth gives tremendous value to much of our lives. Colossians two, whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I can still picture the boss's little office at the restaurant, Frontier Pies, where I had my first interview and my first job at the age of 15 or 16. Um, It was probably all terrifying for me back then, so it's probably why I remember it so vividly. What if I picture Jesus in that office? How would I work if I was working for him? And that is exactly how Jesus views all of our work. We're always working for him. That gives great value to the thousands of hours that you might spend at a wage-earning job. You're not just spinning your wheels until you can get off work and get back to the spiritual things that really matter. That work is spiritual when you do it with a focus on him. It also gives value to all the work we do that we don't get paid for like beautifying and repairing and raising and relating and protecting. The Lord receives those things as labor for him. We do not live in an, in an, uh, in a, an economy where the only thing that matters is stuff that you get something back in return. We live in a world, an economy, in a world that God created to be a place of love where you give and you serve and you sacrifice, and sometimes you don't get anything back. And so, schoolwork, housework, neighborhood work, laundry work, all this has tremendous value because Jesus is our loving you know, boss. God's truth about work gives tremendous value to much of our lives. And similarly, number five, God's truth about work is dignifying. You know, the world says, be anything you want to be. But everybody knows there are a few jobs that make you important and lots of uncool jobs that just don't matter at all. But in God's world, there are supposed to be a huge variety of jobs done by a huge variety of people. And they're all important. I'm not... I do not mean by this that we shouldn't be very grateful for people like policemen or soldiers or professors or doctors. We should honor those who have really intensively prepared for work that we couldn't do. I'm not minimizing that. And yet, from God's big-picture perspective, every job that cares for God's creation is very important. Cooking hamburgers, finding plumbing leaks, building jet engines... Framing houses, researching cancer, driving a bus. I don't think I mentioned this to you. I, I met a man who has a, a difficult mental uh, illness that he's struggled with for his whole life, but spent, he, he excitedly told me he spent, he had a 27 year career driving for public transportation and retired and showed me very proudly his card that gives him free public transportation for the rest of his life. And I thought, how cool is that? You know? Nobody probably looks at him and thinks, man, you're important because of your awesome job. Except God looks at him like that. All work, as long as it is not sinful work, has tremendous dignity when it's done out of love for God and others. So let me... Let me Flesh that out in a few more areas because this is super important. Let's first of all circle back to parenting, as mentioned earlier. Is parenting work, rest, or leisure? (laughs) Yes, that was a joke. Parenting can involve lots of leisure. It can be a blessing in many, many ways. It's not rest. But more than anything else, parenting is biblical work. It is caring for God's creation. It is a very, very good work that is almost entirely ignored by our society today. Parenting doesn't earn a big paycheck. It costs a lot. Yet it is a work that has tremendous dignity and our society has abandoned that. We must not. We can go further, though. In addition to parenting, and note that God's view of work also dignifies the work of those who need a wage-earning job but haven't found one yet. They can still serve family, serve church, serve neighbors, do all sorts of dignified work while they're hunting for wage-earning work. Get off the couch and get to work in God's biblical sense while you wait for work in the wage-earning sense. God's truth also dignifies those who are physically disabled or mentally disabled in a way that doesn't allow them to do most types of wage earning work. There are still many wonderful ways in which they can work in the biblical sense. There are some Down syndrome adults who are glorifying God in their home by their work, even though they can't go hold down a career job somewhere. Their work is just as dignified in God's sight as the work of any CEO. God's truth dignifies the work of retirees. Retirees who no longer work for a paycheck but help with grandkids and volunteer at the local school and clean at church. Caring for God's creation is always dignified. And before we go to the next point, We can see that those last two points about value and dignity also bring a new sense of responsibility in more areas of our life than before. Whatever you do, work heartily from your heart, from a heart of love for God and others. Life is not divided into the spiritual stuff like reading your Bible and going to church and then everything else the chores and the checkbook and the neighborhood and the relationships, it's all part of life lived in God's image for God's glory, caring for God's creation. And so with the value and with the dignity also come a heightened sense of responsibility, not just in some parts of your life, in all of your life. Number six, God's truth is also freeing. And we've already touched on several of these points that It frees you from the world's obsession with finding the one perfect career. It frees you from having to have the type of job that other people think makes you important and valuable. It frees you from having to prove your worth by accumulating wealth. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It also frees you from that educational rat race I'm not diminishing the importance of education. I'll come back to that in a second. I'm talking about education as a giant competition that you'd better win, outdoing everybody else to make sure you end up in that one dream career. You're free from that, free to utilize education as the development of your mind and skills for the glory of God. Number seven, God's truth is motivating. I know some of this is overlapping but I hope you can see by this point that there are opportunities to work for the glory of God everywhere. The child who needs somebody to bounce on the trampoline with them, oh, that's God-honoring work. The neighbor's lawn that needs mowing, your mom who needs help with the dishes, a Sunday school class that needs to be taught, a hole that needs to be patched, a stranded motorist who needs assistance. Everywhere we turn, we see things that might make us go, uh. Do I have to? And instead, when we recognize the beauty of God honoring work everywhere we look, we see opportunities to love God and love others and bring in glory everywhere we turn. And when we have that motivation, then we won't be as susceptible to the world's addictions to leisure and entertainment. So many people are pouring huge portions of their life into TV and video games and other entertainment and leisure. And it makes perfectly good sense because their whole life, they've been told your life is all about you. There is nothing important in your life other than you, you, you. And so if you've got a job, you know, great, if it helps you, if it fulfills you, if it serves you. Life is only about what would make you happy. Can, you just, can we just for a second imagine a world in which people lived in love? I mean, like looking around them all the time saying, how could I serve? How could I help? What could I do? What needs raised? What needs developed? What needs invented? What needs protected? What needs repaired? Who needs served? Who needs helped? Oh my goodness. Creation would look completely different. I'm not criticizing all leisure. I'm not criticizing all entertainment. But the idea that we should work as little as possible is completely godless if the Christian decides to spend some time on the couch or on the phone playing a video game, he's also going to be ready to jump up at any moment if there's some opportunity to work, to serve, to help, to learn. A Christian loves to work, not in the workaholic sense, not in the define myself by this sense, not in the prove to the world how great I am sense, not in the I got to have more money to be happy sense? No, but in the true biblical sense, what could you repair or invent or build or cultivate or raise or develop? How could you care for God's creation? Look around. There is always valuable work to be done for our joy and his glory, and it is more blessed to give than to receive. This also, I said I'd come back to education, this is also what motivates education and the development of skills. What could I learn or what skills could I develop that might make me a blessing? If my neighbor can teach me how to repair sprinklers or repair a small engine, I might be able to use that. If I can learn how to take pictures or play an instrument or program a website, I might be able to use that to love God and love others. Again, from the world's perspective, education is either an idol, it's this massive competition you have to win, or else education is something to be avoided at all costs. And a Christian's free from both of those. Free from the competition, and yet always motivated to learn stuff and grow and be useful to the Lord. Number eight, related to those things, God's truth confronts laziness. There are about 15 different proverbs about the sluggard, and I chose just one of them, Proverbs twenty one twenty five. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. I picked that one because of a survey that came out last week. <clears throat> it's one of these surveys that they keep, they take like every five or 10 years. And so they were comparing these survey results to the ones from 1998. So what's that, 20, 25 years ago? And one of their... One of the things they said was that in the last 25 years, Americans say they value hard work much less and they value money much more. What do you know? This is not going to work out. That's what Proverbs 21, 25 says. The desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. God's truth confronts laziness because work is worship and because work is love. And because work is also broad, it's not just earning a paycheck. So there's always opportunities to work, even while you're waiting for a, work or a job or whatever. So there's just really no excuse for laziness. And the Bible says it pretty directly right when it says, if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. <laughs> that makes it clear how essential human work is to creation. And this also means, I didn't put on a, here a separate point about this, but this also means that there is no biblical retirement age. From a two-year-old to a 92-year-old, there are always ways we can be a blessing as the creator's ambassadors in his creation. As we age, we'll need more rest. We'll have more limitations. We might get better at stopping to smell the roses. That's good. But there is never a time in life when we say, I don't have to work anymore. Because even if, if, I'm, if I'm conscious enough to think those thoughts in a hospital bed, completely debilitated. If I can think enough to pray a prayer for my nurse, I'm doing biblical work for the glory of God. So I think there is no biblical retirement age. Changes in how we can work, what we can do, but never a time when you're like, whew, I'm done working. Not if you're God's child and his creation. And by the way, again, it is such a lie to teach people otherwise. I mean, we are destroying people's lives when we tell them that you would be so happy if at the age of 55 you could just goof around for the next 35 years. It does not work. It does not work, <laughs> it does not work uh, because it's so contrary to God's purposes. That doesn't mean that you, you can't set a goal of being able to be done with your wage-earning job by a certain point in life and do other things for the glory of God. I mean, that's fantastic. So, of course, I'm not out ruling that out. Number nine, God's truth gives guidance to those who are able to earn more income than needed. From the world's standpoint, extra income earns you the right to respect and importance, as well as the right to a lavish life of rest and leisure. But when God grants extra income, he has positioned you to bless others. And we heard some historical examples of that in last Sunday's sermon. Ephesians 4.28 This is a concept here in this verse that the world cannot even fathom. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see the unfathomable concept there? Work so that you can give. What? That's crazy, they'd say. Not crazy if you see the world God's way through the lens of Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah, work so that you can give. Number 10, God's truth gives guidance to those who have the opportunity to provide work for others. Remember John Wanamaker from last Sunday's sermon and his determination to not only treat the customer right, but also treat employees right? Without God's truth, employees are just a means to the end of profit. They're just things. But Christians ask how we might use employment opportunities as a way to love God and love others. These are people created in his image. That I'm hiring. Number 11, God's truth about work it gives a new perspective on your role in the local church. And there are a couple different things we could talk about here. Um, it's easy to feel like you have work and church, right? Work's over here, church is over here. Now, of course, there are ways that those two can connect. You know, like inviting someone at work to church or hiring someone from church for work or earning income from work for church and so forth. There are ways they connect. And of course, understanding the importance of the local church affects how you think about things like careers and job locations and things like that. Um, and Pastor Eric touched on some of that last Sunday, last week. Uh, last, last Sunday, last week? <laughs> last Sunday. But my point here is that based on what we've learned today, we also want to to remember that much of what we do at church is biblical work. That's one of the reasons why we don't just do what we feel like or what's comfortable. When we connect with others, when we pray for others, when we serve others, we're doing biblical work. We're not only caring for his creation, we're caring for his new creation in Christ, which makes it even more exciting. Worship is also a form of biblical work. And so it's not actually work over here and church over here. Rather, both my wage-earning job and the ways I serve my church family are, all, are both biblical work. Number 12, God's truth about work integrates with the importance of the Great Commission. All right, let me unpack this for a second. I said earlier in the sermon that there's some stuff I could, other stuff I could have included in that list at the beginning. And some of you might have thought and realized that I could have included on that list evangelism and discipleship as parts of caring for God's creation. And that would be true. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So I could have included those on the list. That's right. However, the great importance of the Great Commission doesn't cancel out the calling of Genesis 1. That's why the New Testament says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. And whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It wouldn't be true to say that the only things that matter in life are the things that directly connect to the Great Commission. We, we have to continue repairing and protecting and governing and beautifying and providing and raising and developing and inventing for the good of others and the glory of God It is not okay in my home for me to say sorry I don't ever I don't ever help with anybody's hair I don't ever fix anything I don't ever develop anything I don't ever build anything because my life is all about the great commission Okay I've got Matthew 28 but I somehow cut Genesis 1 right out of my Bible And so the Great Commission does not invalidate the rest of our calling to work. At the same time, it is encouraging that even our wage-earning jobs can sometimes connect to the Great Commission more than we think. Let's just hit a few examples of how there might be a connection because it's easy for us to think they don't connect. First of all, the, the easiest one in any, just about any wage-earning job, we can be a testimony for the Lord by how we work and how we treat others. Secondly, some jobs give direct opportunities to share the gospel with people. Thirdly, some jobs give opportunities not to directly share the gospel, but to build relationships that can then be opportunities to share the gospel outside of work. Some jobs allow for hiring employees, which can be a Great Commission opportunity. Some jobs earn extra income that can be used for Great Commission purposes, like some of what we heard about last Sunday. Today's Mission Sunday... And up there on the screen, we had someone who is in Africa, partly because of a job skill, and someone who's in one of those countries, it's not in the Middle East, but it's close to the Middle East, where you're not allowed to go as missionaries, and they're there because of a job skill. Job skills can sometimes give us the opportunity to have access to places of ministry, like urban centers in the USA, or countries like that where missionaries aren't allowed. And so again as as Christians think about career decisions, they take into account how it might relate to the priority of the local church and how it might integrate with the great commission. But that doesn't mean that only work that directly is involved with the great commission matters. All work in all areas of creation done for the glory of God matter. Finally, God's truth about work. Number 13, allows you to. You want to guess what word goes there? At the end of all this talk about work, allows you to rest. God rested. And God, isn't this a little startling? God commands us to rest. I mean, He didn't give you a choice because He gave you a body that has to sleep. But he commanded you to rest in addition to that. Christopher Walken writes, God's rest makes it clear that work is not all there is for God. And we know from Exodus 20 that he doesn't want it to be all there is for us either. Work is supposed to be a big part of our lives, but not all of our lives. And in our kind of society, we may feel like there's no time to rest. Always more to do, more to do. But God's truth allows you to rest. You can take time to rest because you're not trying to prove your value to the world through your work. You can take time to rest because you're not trying to outcompete everybody else with your work. You can rest because you're not trying to find perfect fulfillment through your work. You can rest because God is sovereign over your work. You can rest because God Himself rested. God's truth allows you to rest. Okay, we just made it to the end of the 19-point sermon. Uh, in a moment, we are going to transition into right into our prayer meeting, and that will give you the opportunity to consider some of the personal implications of this sermon. But first of all, uh, I'll transition us to that in just a minute. But realize that this is the type of sermon in which we are seeking to fulfill the church's calling To be the pillar and ground of the truth. Proclaiming the beauty and the power of God's truth and God's ways in contrast with the deceptions that have overtaken our society. We are daring to stand up and say, you're deceived. How would we have the nerve to tell other people they're deceived? Well, it's not because of us. It's because God has spoken. And its truth is so much better. And the message that your career is the most important thing about you is a lie. How many people believe it, though? The message that work is terrible and you should avoid work as much as possible and live for as much entertainment and leisure as possible, that's a lie. But how many people, that is their approach to life. The message that parenting is a burden to be avoided, that's a lie. The message that your career success and your wealth define your importance is a lie. The message that only certain types of jobs have value and only certain types of people have dignity is a lie. And yet so many people believe all those things. All those things stand in direct contrast to the life-saving, life-giving truths of God's word. The world's lies about work are crushing people. Why? Because Satan is a liar who hates people and wants to crush them. Crush them with lies. Take this dominant part of your life, which is work, and get you completely confused and deceived about what it even means and how it even works. And he crushes your life through those lies. But God's truth sets people free. So you're hearing it this morning. You'll hear it, Lord willing, at Identity Seminar two weeks from now. You'll hear it at Sunday seminars and other things in the future, we have to recommit ourselves to be a beacon shining with God's truth for even the foolishness of God is wiser.